This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, good morning, everybody. Glad to have you along this morning on this Tuesday, February 27th edition of Talkback. Talkback is brought to you this morning by Y West Storage out at the Y, 7099, two smokes away. If you want to find out how much it costs for one of their storage units and availability, call this number, obviously 406-510-0590, because at Y West, they are making room for you. Phillips Janitorial, where they offer both residential and commercial cleaning. No job too big or small. Your satisfaction, always 100% guaranteed. Here's their number, 260-6617. Also brought to you by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it might get, uh, as the spring begins to spread, Gomer's has everything you need to make sure your rig starts every single time, located at Palmer and West Broadway. And by Harrington Surgical Supply, where where appointments are preferred there for mastectomy fittings and custom compressions, but walk-ins are always welcome. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? It is open phones. Now, it was supposed to be Steve Daines. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mentioned that last, yeah, last yeah. Uh, show that... Uh, yeah. that we might have some scheduling conflicts, so we will get them on as soon as we can. Fantastic. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Senator Steve Daines. By the way, uh, I, I remember once I pressed him a little bit um, and his staff about not coming on and taking calls from folks. And so he finally said, yes, he'd do that. And hopefully that will be happening when he's with us the next time. Oh, yeah. That's he, always the, that's the so, plan. Yeah. You bet. So. Uh, we appreciate that. Of course, uh, all, all of our congressional delegation, with one exception, uh, has been on our show, and uh, we appreciate all that. All right. So, uh, now, I was just, my, my, my uh, highway tires are in the back of my vehicle, waiting to be, <laughs> waiting to be mounted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to do it on Saturday. But everybody said, oh, no, this week we're going to have a lot of snow. Could have several inches on the ground, and you'll need your snow tires. And I'm going, okay. So they're still sitting in the back of my car. I don't think you're the only one. I think a lot of people are still waiting and and holding out just in case. Yeah. But but no, I I mean, honestly, I haven't been tracking the forecast as much uh, at the start of this week. So I don't know what we're expecting today or tomorrow, but... If they say more snow is coming, I mean, obviously we woke up to a little bit of a drizzle this morning, but nothing nothing too crazy, obviously. Well, let's see. I'm looking at uh, today. Uh, there's a 30% chance of uh, rain showers with a high of 49 on Thursday. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, 30% chance of snow Friday with a high of 40. 38 will be the high Saturday with a 50% chance of light snow. So anyway, if, if it does come, it ain't going to be hanging around long. No, so, no, no, no. Anyway. Yeah, looking at the 10-day, like you just kind of said, it says uh, maybe a mix of rain and snow Friday and a little bit of snow Saturday, but nothing yeah. nothing crazy. So And then it's mostly <sighs> cloudy and in the 40s. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, we have missed winter, right? I mean, I, we had a little... We're, we're, we're getting we, into March already. So well, yeah. we, we had that really terrible cold snap, right? And then it was really bad. 20 below, uh, 30 below in some areas. That was only, what, three, four days? Right, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they said it was going to be a 
La Nina winter, right? And La Nina means warmer temperatures and less moisture. Yep. And they were right. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so, they were. So uh, uh, every now and then the weatherman does... Uh, just hit the hit the bullseye. So. Well, and Punxsutawney Phil, you know, said that we oh, get right. spring, you know, six six weeks early. That's so. right. We get an early spring. So, he yeah. saw his shadow. So you know, here mm. we go. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, it, the the signs <laughs> the signs are all pointing to who knows what whatever. Basically, when you wake up, if it's raining, it's going to rain. If you wake up and it's snowing, it's going to snow. So well, and obviously we've been broken records on this, and everybody's yeah. talking about it and concerned about it. But obviously that means we could have kind of a dicey fire season this year. We, you know, Flathead Lake may not be as full as it needs to be because usually we need that runoff for right. that water. Right. And, you know, obviously all the issues that happened last year with the lake, and so yeah, uh, I mean everyone's you know. For you and me, it's like, oh, yay, there hasn't been much snow. Like, this is great. But if it starts to impede the yeah. fun summertime that I like to have, it's like, well, well that's not. I'll trade snow for a good summer any day of the week. And, so. uh, of course, I went on my vacation uh, two weeks ago, and we went up to Sealy Lake. And I think I, I mentioned this. One of the merchants there said they were 10 feet short of the amount of snow they really needed to make a successful winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, they said all, all the businesses and folks around Sealy Lake were suffering. And so they were hoping they would have some, you know, toward the end of the season, they'd get some more snow, but obviously they haven't. So anyway, well, well, listen, it's open phones, folks. Whatever's on your mind this morning, we've been musing out loud, but what's on your mind this morning? 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Or of course, you can use the KGVO app. We're coming right back. Honey, would you? Dennis Bragg with your Town Square weather forecast. Snow showers possible again Tuesday morning and some gusty winds on what will be the coldest day this week with highs in the upper 20s and lows 15 to 20. Slight chance of snow again Wednesday, but turning warmer with highs in the low 40s and overnight lows back above freezing. Winds still gusting from 20 to 25 miles per hour. A chance of rain in the valleys and that will continue into Thursday where temperatures could be close to 50 degrees in some locations. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. 721-1290 is our number. I'm Peter Christian. That's Nick Christensen right over there. And we like to start open phones with a smile. And that's uh, what we do whenever we talk with Sandy Basica, who is uh, joining us, uh, city councilor. And uh, Sandy, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Peter and Nick. And all you just made me smile. Thank you. Well, there you, <laughs> you go. You guys are having a great, uh, snowy, I guess, cloudy day. Oh, I'm, I'm looking. I'm not so seeing far, much. So <laughs> Go ahead. What, what, what's on your mind, Matt? Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to share what's happening in a committee tomorrow. Um, there's a lot going on. It's a long day. It goes from 9 to 5.30. But um, some highlights that I wanted to let the folks know. Um, uh, the and During committee as a whole, from 9 o'clock to 10.45 is going to be the 2024 Local Government Review and Study Commission Resolution. And that is where we're going to decide if we're going to um, put uh, on the ballot to have the local government um, review and study commission. I think that uh, happens every 10 years. Um, Then uh, during public safety, health and operations from 1055 to 1205, we're going to be discussing whether we're going to put the fire department levy um, resolution. We're going to put that levy on the ballot as well this year. Then um, uh, during Housing Redevelopment and Community Program Committee at 135, they're uh, going to be discussing a Scott Street Workforce Housing Project Agreement. 
and then two more. Um, during Climate Conservation and Parks Committee at 245 is um, the Parks, Recreation, Open Space, and Trails, which is the PROST. That's the uh, master planning updates. And there's a couple of opportunities around town. Um, if you uh, go to the city's website or uh, just kind of like use your favorite search engine, just Google that for in Missoula. There's a lot of opportunities around town where you can um, give your opinion on, par- on parks and uh, recreation, open space, and trails uh, planning programs. And then at 345 during Public Works is a sidewalk presentation. Um, as uh, many of you know, I am very passionate about sidewalks and very frustrated about the sidewalk financing program that's around that happens in Missoula. Because right now, um, if a sidewalk is put in front of your house, you could be um, having to spend up to $9,000 out of your own pocket for it. And uh, a couple of my colleagues and I have been um, in the works of revamping the sidewalk um, financing program to have uh, sidewalks being paid for out of the general fund like streets are. But um, it's a lot more complicated than that. So Jeremy Keene is doing a sidewalk presentation um, about how all that works uh, before we submit our referral to do that. Unfortunately, because I'm on the uh, governor, or I guess fortunately, because I'm on the governor's uh, property tax task force, <laughs> I have my first subcommittee meeting this after that afternoon, so I will miss it, but I will watch it um, afterwards. But um, I just wanted to let the folks know in case they were interested in any of the things that I'm interested in that's happening tomorrow. Yes, yeah, Sandy, I also read uh, that the city council voted to ease restrictions on business licenses for applicants with a prior criminal history. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I know you were kind of in the forefront. Yes, I'm very excited about that. Um, so I'm on the business license appeal uh, board. And so if you have a, if you apply for a business license and you have a felony on your record, the previous rules in Missoula Municipal Code stated that if you had a felony, you would automatically be denied. And then you'd have to um, ask for an appeal. And so um, ever since I've been on the board, 100% of the appeal, appeals have been granted. Um, if anybody saw the news, it was on NBC, uh, mentioned that um, these are folks that had drug issues about like two decades ago or, or um, like a decade, two decades ago, and they're completely changed their life around. And so um, it was just really hinged, like holding them up. And if we were going to just grant these appeals anyways, um, I feel like it would, I felt like it would make um, less staff time, less of the board's time and less of the applicant's time if we just switched it to be a 180 so that it would be an automatic granting of the license and have to go to an appeal if there was a concerning factor such as like breaking and entering the homes or they didn't turn their life around and there uh, were um, a cause for concern of entering people's homes such as like a locksmith or like um, a house cleaner or something like that. So I'm very excited about that. And um, I, I pled to all of my colleagues last night, and then I didn't know that they were all going to vote yes for it. So like, I was on my hands and knees pleading for them, <laughs> urging them to vote yes. And, and then they voted yes. So, <laughs> so San- I'm very excited that it was unanimous. Yeah, I was going to say, Sandy, I, I read, yeah, an 11 to 0 vote. Is that the first time that you've ever had anything pass 11 to 0 that you were uh, heavily in favor of at council? Um, well, I did get um, the thing because we only meet every uh, four four times a month. And then so I got the week of Thanksgiving switched to the fifth Monday. And uh, that one was unanimous <laughs> too. I remember Brian Von Losberg said, sure, for his vote. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You bet. So for, basically, yes, it is the only Way time. to go. Now, now about about the fire department, Levy, I, I had a nice talk with uh, Mr. Drobeck, Andy Drobeck, who is uh, the head of Firefighters Union a couple of weeks ago about... Uh, the the levy and the need for it, and uh, he 
Boy, it, yeah, he, he just laid out some really, really uh, important issues that you know we're, we're, we've been working short for for a long time. As far as firefighters go, uh, we don't have enough engines, we don't have enough stations, we don't have enough people, and so uh, they're they're working behind all the time. And he said they simply can't afford to keep doing that and retain the um, uh, I forget what it's called. The um, uh, approval. Yeah, I think it's the ISO rating. Yeah, the ISO rating. Right, exactly. And uh, I, I'm just wondering how far we can keep going putting that off. Well, you know me, I've always been a huge advocate of um, the main priorities of local government are for um, police-fired infrastructure. So I am I am most likely going to vote to put it on the uh, ballot, um, I, even though it's um, somebody during the tax, uh, property tax task force said uh, death by um, user fees, which is all these uh, levies that everyone keeps voting in. Right. $2 here, $15 there, $20 there. It all adds up. However, um, it, all my time on council, I have been unable to shift our priorities to having police fire and infrastructure being the main things that we fund. So um, I probably will vote to have it on there because we do need our fire. We, we do need um, our fire department to be um, properly staffed and have the equipment and the um, the things that they need to properly keep us safe. So uh, there was a really um, interesting presentation uh, by Chief Hughes last week during committee meetings during the public safety health and operations meeting um, about a uh, the uh, I can't remember what the study was called um, about the the fire study and all the safety measures that they have um, been going through the past couple of years. Very fascinating. Um, there's the studies on the uh, city website. And then if you go back to last week, you could watch it. And then I do encourage folks to um, chime into the meeting uh, tomorrow to let, let them let us know your thoughts on it. Sounds good. Sandy, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for filling us in. All right. Well, thank you. You guys have a great day. And thank you so much. You. We're, we're going to take a break. Come right back. Skip, if you don't mind hanging on, we'll get to your call right after this. Open phones till 9 o'clock, folks. And then, of course, we're going to have uh, Missoula Econ 101, Grant Keir, CEO of the Missoula uh, Economic Partnership. And Bryce Ward is going to be with us. He's with the ABMJ Consulting. And he uh, has put together a survey about homelessness here. A study. A study. Mm -hmm. A study uh, on homelessness. We'll be talking about that with Grant and, of course, with you. So all that's coming up. So keep those phone calls coming. It's open phone. 721-1290 is our number. Back with more right after this. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your social security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. 
Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Meet Ingrid, fiery spirit, caring grandma, proud trucker. I've logged more than 4 million miles in my truck. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. I was driving outside of Ohio when a gentleman stopped suddenly in front of me. But it takes my 80,000-pound truck 200 yards to stop. I'd given myself extra room, but it's not a chance worth taking. It's It's our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. It's It's our our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hey, welcome back to Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. And we've got uh, two individuals waiting to visit with us. The first is, is Skip. Skip, good morning. Thanks for holding. You're on Talkback. What's on your mind, sir? Good morning, Peter. Thank you. Um, I wanted to... Uh, first, I heard Sandy talking about um, Missoula government. It's, it's kind of nice to have your own... like having your own staff reporter on what's going on in Missoula. Um, Missoula government. That was pretty cool. And I don't live in Missoula County, but now I got an update. <laughs> but I wanted, I wanted to tell you that, uh, yesterday when I think, uh, Council Gupta was on, uh, and when I asked about, uh, some things in his country, uh, uh and then he had previously said, all of these statistics about biometrics and and uh, their digital systems, uh, I said I was blown away. And then he said, uh, he said, "Oh, I'm, I'm thank you for the praise." Well, I wasn't really praising it. I was like blown away that it was that much. I'll call it control. And I was I was like I, I don't think we have anything like that here. And I know that. Uh, I hope that I hope that I don't have to participate in anything like that in this country anytime soon. About the extent of uh, it sounded like biometric control of uh, so many different things. But what I also wanted to point out was that after he was off, I wanted you to know that I deeply respect the way that you laid out the rules for your show when it comes to. Uh, I'll say respect and substance. And uh, I thought that that was uh, well done. So I just thought I'd tell you that. Thank you. So for the... you have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, Skip. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, well, I'll let some move on. Let's get Jeff on the line. Jeff, good morning. You're on Talkback. What's up, sir? Hey, good morning. Um, I can't believe that Sandy Vaseka wanted to give criminals a second chance. 
That's that's so unconservative, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> where would we ever want to give somebody a second chance? You, you know, my, my tongue is firmly in my cheek when I'm saying mm, this. Yes, right? of course. <laughs> okay. Um, the reason I called is yesterday morning there was a thing on, on where I was listening to news said that the Dow Jones was, had hit a new high mark. And I was wondering, what did the Dow Jones look like 100 years ago? And so I went out there and I took a look, and the value of the Dow Jones 100 years ago was 100.66. Oh, my goodness. The value today is, <laughs> is 38,934. Wow. That means it has gone up in value over 389 times. Whereas, and I said, well, okay, what did the price of gold do? And the price of gold in, in 1924 was $35 an ounce. And as of yesterday, it was 2047. So that means the gold has only gone up 58.5 times. So um, for those folks who think that they need to invest in gold versus the American economy, I would advise you to think again. Don't bet against America. Well said, sir. And... Uh, yeah, and then I also looked at the companies that were on there. This is kind of interesting because uh, there were 20 companies in 1924. Um, one of them was Anaconda Mining. Right, Mining. right. Uh, uh, that got dropped. Uh, Utah Copper in, on February 6th got dropped in favor of Standard Oil of California. Um, you have all sorts of companies that don't exist anymore. American Smelting and Refinery, the American... I don't know if American Sugar Refinery is out there. AT&T is American Telephone and Telegraph. Um, but there's some that don't, no longer exist, like uh, Studebaker Corporation, Sears and Roebuck, um, U.S. Steel. Uh, Western Union is still around, and I think Westinghouse is still around, but they're vastly different than they used to. And there were two different uh, locomotive works, Baldwin Locomotive and American Locomotive Company. So... Um, it's just interesting to see how things have changed over a hundred years. And, uh, yesterday they switched out, uh, they replaced Walgreens with Amazon. Wow. Uh, and that's kind of what prompted my whole, uh, thing is that Walgreens is no longer considered, uh, as valuable for, for predicting the American economy as Amazon is. And, and that makes sense. But, um, I don't think there's a single company that on there now, as I look through it, that was on there a hundred years ago. Um, it's really kind of amazing how much our economy has changed, but then it's just kind of a reflection of, I think America that, um, we have different things that occur in different years and, uh, and uh, the only constant is change. And let, let me let me ask you this real quick. Bro. While we get to break, but I want to ask you because you're a smart guy. Do you think Do you think that uh, primarily one of the reasons why that has been so successful is because for the most part, for the most part, the U.S. government has kept its slimy fingers out of it. Uh, that has got to be a major point. I mean. Look at the energy transition now, and look at all the problems that are occurring in the, inter in the so-called energy transition, because the government has mandated this and mandated that. Right. You know, internal combustion engines use a fraction of the metal and materials that electric yep. vehicles use. Let the market decide, man. On the road. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The market. The market is much smarter than than. Any individual, you know, the example that was given 
years ago that I love is uh, let's suppose that Missoula decided they were going to have a commission of lunches <laughs> and that Missoula was going to be in charge of, of, of setting up lunches for everybody in the county. Can you imagine what that would look like? It would be a disaster. You bet. And, and so we don't have a commissar of lunches in Missoula County, and yet lunches happen. Yep. It's just amazing. Yeah, the the the, the same the, the same uh, uh, scenario was was said about uh, about Manhattan. So, hey, listen, we, we're we're past a break, Jeff. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it, dude. You bet. Yeah, we're gonna, we're going to come right back. Phone lines are open for another twenty eight minutes, and then we and then we have uh, uh, the uh, Missoula Econ One Hundred and One program, very popular show. Of course, we'll be taking your calls for that as well. Coming up from nine until ten. Dennis Bragg with your Town Square weather forecast. Snow showers possible again Tuesday morning and some gusty winds on what will be the coldest day this week with highs in the upper 20s and lows 15 to 20. Slight chance of snow again Wednesday but turning warmer with highs in the low 40s and overnight lows back above freezing. Winds still gusting from 20 to 25 miles per hour. A chance of rain in the valleys and that will continue into Thursday where temperatures could be close to 50 degrees in some locations. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. So to one twelve ninety is our number. It's open phones. Another twenty five minutes. What's on your mind this morning? We'd love to hear from you. And Christensen over there taking your phone calls, producing a Talk Back as he does so well every morning. Dave is up next. Dave, good morning. You're on Talk Back. What's up, sir? Yeah, I like to talk about the solutions for the Middle East. Go for it. Okay. First of all, I'd like to. I have to admit, I'm not a fan of Netanyahu. Ever since he came to to Washington and spoke to. Congress during the uh, during the um, Obama administration and told 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 the country that uh, Iran was months away from a bomb, um, but you know his solution just came out and that he he plans to to occupy the Gaza Strip for the next thirty years and re-educate the Palestinians and, and I think that's a that's a very expensive plan and I don't think it will really work. But because uh, I, I firmly believe in the two-state solution, and um, I mean, it, and if our government was really serious about it, they would threaten to put an embassy in, in the West Bank and and declare the West Bank a, a, its own individual country, and that might that just the threat of that might move uh, Netanyahu to change his attitude. Never know. Thanks, Dave. Sure. Appreciate it, sir. Let's uh, move on and get Ed on the line. Ed, good morning. You're on Talk Back. What's on your mind, sir? Hey, about the uh, Dow Jones. Yes, sir. Uh, we've we've got a pair of um, uh, old fashioned glasses that have on the outside the the uh, Dow Jones uh, uh, values. Uh, starting back in the 60s or whatever. It's kind of interesting to look because they, they also give historical events, like the Tet Offensive was right here, and this is what the Dow Jones uh, was. So wow. in any event, I don't know if Jeff imbibes, but they're fun <laughs> to look at, and I'm sure they're available uh, on um, on eBay. 
Wow. Okay. <laughs> Capitalism at its take best, look, right? Take a look at those. Take a look at those. <laughs> okay. Dow Jones glasses. Da- yeah. Dow Jones. Oh, so drinking glass. I thought you were talking about eyeglasses. I'm going, how, how do they do well, that? No, we're talking <laughs> imbibing. Okay. okay. All right, Ed. Put a nice background to uh, to the graph. Gotcha. All right. Thanks for the okay. call. Appreciate it. Sure sometimes enough. they'd be really, really full. Sometimes they'd be really, really empty. All right. Uh, Alan is up next. Alan, good morning. You're on Talkback. What's on your mind, sir? Hey, good morning. Good morning. I usually comment on local politics, and I want to say this. Thank you very much, Sandy Vaseca, for the uh, update. I wish we had more city council people that care about the public and would reach out like that. But the reason why I'm calling in is more on a national level. I wanted to mention the student loan bailout, you know, forgiving all these loans. You know, people, it's not all as it seems. I think the ulterior motive is to doing that. It's a bank bailout. And people really need to see what it's what's really going on with the bailout of the students. Well, you know, it it used to, you know, for, forgive me for sounding like an old guy because I am one. Back in my day, you know, when <laughs> when 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 you took out a loan, right? And 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 yep. the bank or the financial institution gave you the money with interest because they knew because of a law you would pay it back and they would make a little money, right? But right, when, right. But 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 this but this it, it just defies it beggars the imagination. Yeah, everybody whines and complains that they have student loans to pay off. I I I, I know people that have haven't paid off their student loans in thirty years, right? And and yeah. yet nobody's ever come yeah. after them and tried and tried to uh, you know take their house or take their car or whatever. It just sits there. So yeah, I I yeah. I don't understand I, I that mindset. I, is, yeah, and and when you sign you know your name to a debt, you're saying I will pay that off. That's right. You know, and then to come in and say, oh hey, it's forgiven, you're scot free, and then the bank gets the money, and you know. Everybody's happy? Well, no. It's you and I, us taxpayers, we're paying for that. It's coming out of our pocket. Well, if you really, well, let let me tell you, if you really want to help people, rather than paying off their student loans, pay off their credit card debt. Quick, because credit card (laughs) debt right now is at an all time world record high uh, in this country. More people or more, owe more money on their credit cards than you can possibly imagine. It's it's in the billions and billions of dollars, and uh, so many families are going under because with those credit cards are structured in such a way, the interest rates are so high. If you just make the minimum payments, you will never pay it off ever in into perpetuity. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks for the call, sir. Appreciate it. Have a good day. We're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. It is open phones for another 20 minutes or so. So whatever might be on your mind, why don't you give us a call? Okay, we're back. This is Talkback, 721-1290. That's our number, 1-800-568-5309. We should do a show about credit cards sometime, Nick, with maybe with Bob. After all, he's our financial guy, right? Yeah, yeah, we could try something like that. Yeah. Anyway, but we have folks waiting on the line who want to talk right now. It's open phones. Jay, good morning. You're on Talkback. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. Go for it. Um, in the last month or so, uh, there's been talk about um, 
the MCPS board and actually uh, the budget shortfall that's coming up and how they're going to try to address it, right. the administration and the board. Uh, tonight there's a board meeting for the MCPS at 6, and I don't think they're going to make any real decisions about the budget then. But right, be- right before that, there's a special meeting at 7 at 5.30 for only half an hour, and the main agenda items just say termination hearing, classified staff, right. and then board deliberation and decision. I was wondering if KGBO news personnel had any information on what that might be about. I, I, I have contacted uh, the MCPS about that. The, um, the, the hearing is closed, but the results will be made public following the meeting. At what point is it closed? Because part of the agenda says public comment. So are they going to close it after public comment? I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I asked that question, and that was the answer I received. Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, you bet. And thanks, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's serious stuff over there. Um, uh, a reduction in income necessarily means we can't keep all the people, can't keep all the programs um, until we can get that back up again. So, okay, Kevin, Kevin's on the line. Kevin, good morning. You're on Talkback. Hi. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, you, Peter, you just touched on something when you said about uh, the student loans and the credit card debt. Uh, you know, what really infuriates me is when we need these high school kids graduate school and they're going to get going to college and everything, yet they're forcing the woke program, their work, uh, their agenda, they're uh, forcing algebra and geometry, which they might not be going able to use in their fields that they're going into college. So the thing about it is, you need to, a part of uh, the seniors of uh, high schools. They need to put in uh, what a checkbook is, how to balance it, what credit card is, what ATR is, mm-hmm. and the interest rates of these credit cards. Um, it just seems like, and coming from Missoula, um, and you and I both uh, probably have seen this, is in the fall is when the college kids come in in August and September, uh, and they get their student loan money, and next thing you know, they're out on a spending spree, a partying spree, whatever, you know, that's the what the freshmen's do, um, and some of the, you know, juniors do. The thing about it is we got to instill them the value of that money and that loan, that it's not a, a they're going to have to pay it back. Um, I do when I mortgage a house. I do when I, if I buy a new car, um, it's your responsibility. And it just seems like we are not teaching our young people or instilling value, more moral values and responsibilities into them. And that's uh, and that, that that's supposed to be mom and dad that are doing that, or uh, some sort of parental presence in their life. Well, what if you got a, a lousy, a, a dysfun- you come from a dysfunctional family, and your parents aren't teaching you the value of money either? You know, I mean, it's it's these schools. You got to remember, you're kicking these little minnows out into the world at <laughs> a high school, and you need. I think the value of currency or the money. And, you know, a 401k, what that, what, you know, what that is and, a, you know, your, your savings and everything. But also when they're in there and they're going for this college degree, they owe money on it because that degree 
is something that they can take with them if they get the degree, right? If they graduate and acquire all the, 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 you know, bachelors or whatever they're going in for, they can take it with them. So you can't renege on it, on the taxpayers helping you, giving you a helping hand up, and then you're just kicking down your feet down and saying you're stuck with the, the, the loan. That's not fair because there's a lot of like plumbers and truck drivers and people that did opt out going to school and, and working a hard day's work and paying for those taxes. And I think it's just downright um, irresponsible and kind of disrespectful that you're not pay, you know, taking responsibility for your own actions. You're preaching to the choir, man. Okay, you guys have a great day. Kevin, thank Thanks, you Kevin. thank you for your call. We appreciate it. 721 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Um, yeah, looking ahead, by the way, to the top of the hour, it, we'll be talking, uh, it'll be Missoula Econ 101. It's a good one. Because Grant Keir is going to be with us, CEO of the Missoula Economic Partnership. Bryce Ward is going to be with us. He's done a study about homelessness. And we also are going to have Executive Director Jill Bonney from the Pomerello Center joining us, all joining us here in the studio to talk about this very, very important topic. And uh, uh, that's what Missoula Econ 101 is all about. So we're going to take a quick break, come right back and uh, take some more calls for open phones when we return right after this. Dennis Bragg with your Town Square weather forecast. Snow showers possible again Tuesday morning and some gusty winds on what will be the coldest day this week with highs in the upper 20s and lows 15 to 20. Slight chance of snow again Wednesday but turning warmer with highs in the low 40s and overnight lows back above freezing. Winds still gusting from 20 to 25 miles per hour. A chance of rain in the valleys and that will continue into Thursday where temperatures could be close to 50 degrees in some locations. Wow. (laughs) Hey, welcome back everybody. It is uh, time Talk back. It's open phones for another oh six and a half minutes or so. A couple of folks waiting on the line right now. Emmett, Emmett, thanks for holding. You're on Talk Back, sir. What's up? Oh, thanks for taking my call. I'm oh, there. Emmett, what? Are you okay? Well, getting over COVID, you oh, know. Okay. Like I said, you know. Right. But anyway, and I just got up. But anyway, about the student loan debt, you know what has always disturbed me. <sighs> It's this idea that people need to go to college to get a good job. I think the economy needs to be restructured so that people with a high school diploma, you know, can go get a good job or go to a trade school without this mountain of debt in the first place. If you graduate from college and you do have a degree and you get a good job, you're spending all that money to pay back the student loan and you're still broke. Um, And you're paying it back for years. I just don't think you should be forced to go to college to get a good job, you know, to, to just stay out of poverty. That That's really tragic. I think people... Well, no, no. Emmett, you must agree that there are some professions where that kind of schooling is necessary. If you want to be a doctor, if you want to be an attorney, uh, if, if, if you want to be an engineer... Uh, you have to go to school to get that training. Now, no one's going to let you in to do eye surgery without any without any schooling or training. Well, that's true, but not everyone is a doctor or surgeon or okay. a lawyer. All right. Your average person just is not, and you shouldn't be saddled with this mountain of debt just to get an art degree that you'll never use at Walmart. So isn't there, I really, really, in mean, the college isn't for everybody. I never went to college, but... I couldn't stand high school in the first place anyway, but 
I just don't think we should look at college as for everybody, and then everyone is saddled with student debt. I think that if you go to college, it's got to be for the right reasons, and you've got to have a plan to pay it off in the first place. That way, we won't have to worry about the student debt in the first place, you know. And if you get a good job, then help pay for it. But that, that's a, those are my two cents for the all day. Right. All right. Well, Evan, you, you right. take care. Take care of yourself, all right? Yeah, this COVID is hurting me worse than I thought. <laughs> all, right, all right, buddy. Well, thanks. Take care. Get, get some more rest. All right, Betty's on the line next. Betty, good morning. You're on Talkback. What's on your mind, ma'am? Hi, Peter. I listen to you guys every day from Idaho, where I moved. Well, thank you. After 50 years in the Bitterroot, and I know that you guys are having an awful property tax situation there, as we are. But I want people to be aware of how these schools are presenting their mill levies to the voters. As in Spokane, they had a $200 million levy up for vote. And... What they're doing now is, remember they used to say, this will cost you $50 per 100000 right. of assessed value. Right. Then they dropped that to 10000 Now they thought they would pull one over on the voters, and they said, this will only be $2.50 per 1000 Oh. Do your math, folks. Wow. And if you, most homes here are assessed at 400 that's $1,000 more in tax per year. So I just thought I'd let um, your voters know. I know you have your school district begging for more money over there. And it's just another way for them to th- have you think, oh, this isn't going to cost much. We can afford $2.50, right? But multiply that times the hundred thousands of your assessed value and you will be shocked. Well, I, I will tell you, in my conversations with the folks at MCPS, uh, I believe in May there is, uh, I believe, a $5 million levy, uh, general levy, mm-hmm. that's going to be going through. And they are pinning many of their hopes on on being able to continue uh, normal business practices by uh, the community getting behind the schools and passing that levy. And there's there, there's a great deal of, of, of phone calls and letters and emails and uh, texts uh, going out encouraging people who live in the school districts to please support the public schools. And uh, so well, that, that, that's happening as we speak. So Yes, and I just think it's pretty sneaky when they start putting this will only cost you one dollar per thousand assessed value because most people don't do the math and multiply that times whatever and your assessed value is. I, I had not heard that, that graphic, but I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you. Thank you, sorry. Yes, look in the spokesman review on school levy of February fourteen that did not pass. And it goes from district to district, and they all go per 1,000 now because it sounds so little to the public. Now, is that just in Washington State, or is it also in Montana? Well, I noticed that they're starting to do that here in Idaho okay. when they're presenting their levies. All right. Because it, it sounds a heck of a lot less than $250 per 10,000. Yeah, or you per, know. per 100,000, yeah. Yeah, or per 100, exactly. And so people think, oh, that's not bad. And then they'd look at their tax 
bill and says you're assessed at seven hundred thousand. Well, yeah. well, th- just mm-hmm. real quick in the last minute we have uh, one, one of the other things that may be on the ballot coming up is a seven million dollar fire bond levy, and uh, uh, so th- it, it just seems like we have been putting this off and putting this off and putting this off, and now all, all these things are coming to roost on the yes. uh, primarily the residential property taxpayer. And it's awful what you people are putting up with in Missoula, and everyone's income is going down, and everything costs more. So I just thought I'd put that out so that people can put their thinking caps on when that's presented to them. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. We are going to take a break. Come right back with Missoula. Speaking of economics, Missoula Econ 101 uh, coming up here in just a moment after the top of the hour news. So stay with us. We'll be there with uh, that in just a moment. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome back to Talkback. Talkback this morning, hour number two, brought to you by Harrington Surgical Supply, where you can feel confident in Harrington Surgical Supply's discreet and knowledgeable guidance on a multitude of products and medical supplies. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts, about how cold it might get. Whatever your rig needs, they have everything you need to make sure your rig starts every time and runs perfectly. Located at Palmer and West Broadway, also brought to you by Y West Store out of the Y on Two Smokes Way. If you need a storage facility, give them a call, 406-510-0590, because at Y West, we're making room for you. And by Phillips Janitorial, both residential and commercial cleaning, 100% satisfaction guarantee, and no job is too big or small. So their number, 406-260-6617. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of TalkBack. Back this morning, this is Missoula Econ 101. I'm Peter Christian. Nick Christensen is right over there taking your phone calls. Joining us in the studio is uh, the CEO of the Missoula Economic Partnership, and that's Grant Keir. And you are here with with guests, so please go ahead. This is your your hour. Thank you. Good morning, Peter and Nick. Great to be here again today. Um, excited. You know, we've talked a lot about some of the big issues that Missoula Economic Partnership is focused on in the community. The big top issues for us over the last couple of years have been housing um, and workforce, and we've brought some speakers in to talk about that. Last spring, we really saw a big change where I was getting a lot of phone calls from community members talking about our homelessness problem and what Missoula Economic Partnership was doing about that. Um, It turned out we were doing nothing and really poorly understood the problem. And as I reached out to better understand what the situation was and what we could do about it, I just found for our perspective and understanding the sort of economics of this and the economic impacts, it was hard to get clear answers and a good baseline of information. So um, today I have two guests that have really helped us understand the present conditions and some of the successful opportunities we might have and how to move forward as a community. Bryce Ward with ABMJ Consulting is an economist who's been doing a study for us on the economic impacts of homelessness. And Jill Bonney, who is the executive director of the Pavarello Center, is here with us and is really the um, leading the charge on um, accommodating and providing services to some of the homeless population. So really thrilled to have both here today. Thank you, guys. Happy to be here. All right. Now, let the, if you don't mind, but Bryce, I want to start with you. Uh, you. You have done a study 
And uh, I know that 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 is your that's your bailiwick. That's what you do. You do research. I know you've worked with Patrick Barkey and the University of Montana over the years, and now of course you're on your own. But if you wouldn't mind sharing the, the, how how you developed this study, this survey, what were the parameters, and if you could just share uh, what you found out. Okay, so uh, when Grant first talked with me, it was like, well, let's just kind of figure out a baseline, a, a kind of an understanding of the size of the population, how it's changed, and then what are the impacts on the community given the size? So that's kind of roughly what we set out to answer. And in our service, we found in terms of, you know, measuring this, you know, enumerating the homeless population is difficult because, uh, you know, just they're not just in a fixed location. I can't send them a survey and count them up, right? We have to go find them. Uh, so we have two measures that we use here in Missoula. One is called the point in time count. Uh, it's a night in January where you count everybody in the shelters and you send out volunteers all over the community to try and find homeless populations wherever they may be and count them up. Uh, and the point in time in recent years has been roughly 350 people. Um, the other measure uh, is essentially a measure of anybody who's touched anything that kind of any kind of a service provider and they kind of feed into a system. And, you know, you measure that usually over the course of a month. Uh, and over the course of a month, that's usually around 600 people. And they fluctuate up and down a little bit over time, and they kind of tell slightly different stories. But roughly speaking, that's where Missoula's been for the past several years. It hasn't really – it's not like we've seen a huge increase in homelessness. Um, you know, it goes up and down year to year, but it's been roughly in that 600 a month in the system, 350 at the point in time count. Um, and if you say, okay, well, how does that compare to other places – um, it's pretty close to what other urban areas in Montana have. So your Billingses, your Buttes, your Bozeman's, your Kalispells, we're right in line with Billings, a little below Butte, kind of a, a, a little above Helena, Bozeman, Kalispell, although some of that can be just measurement uh, issues. Um, it's a little above the national average, although we don't really count homelessness in rural areas. So you get a little bit of a skewed picture there, uh, but it's well below the highest levels, you know, your Californias, your right, Oregons. Right. Um, so that's where we're at. In terms of then what are the costs on the community, they're big. Um, you know, obviously, homelessness is a cost to the homeless. And the vast majority of homelessness in Missoula is people who were residents last housed in Missoula. So the cost to those people count as cost to the community. And homelessness is very hard, very stressful. You know, a study came out recently at the University of Chicago. Uh, the mortality rate amongst homeless populations is 3.6 times as high as the house population. So to put that in terms that people maybe understand, a 40-year-old homeless person has the same mortality risk as a 60-year-old house person. Um, so it's a big impact, you know. Uh, but, of course, there's costs on the rest of us, right? Like, you know, I think a lot of us look at homelessness and we see kind of crime and disorder and we just don't like it. Um, you know, and there is an impact on crime uh, associated with homelessness. And that's it. Crime is very, very costly to the community, right? Um, you know, we all understand that how much we spend trying to protect ourselves from crime and how much it costs to be the victim of a crime, how frustrating it is to, you know, have your business vandalized, have your home or car broken into, all of those costs add up into big costs. And so to the extent that homelessness boosts those costs, though, that's a cost. But also it just it affects our behavior, right? Like, you know, a lot of people will, if there's homelessness on the Kim Williams Trail, well, I'm not going to go on the Kim Williams Trail. If there's homelessness in this park, I'm not going to go there. If I see a lot of homeless people downtown, well, I'm not going to go to restaurants down there. And whenever you change behavior as an economist, that's a cost. Because I would have done that in the absence of this thing. And those costs can add up substantially. And it's hard to quantify because we don't really know how much, you know, people don't like the disorder. But we don't always see when somebody's behaving erratically on the street. I, don't, I assume 
a lot of people assume you're homeless, but we actually don't know your housing status, right? right? So what we don't like is crime and disorder, and we kind of think that that's associated with homelessness, and those costs add up. And so they kind of motivate us to want to do something. And then the last little trickiness of the cost is that the costs are not uniformly distributed, right? You know, they're localized, right? So they're they're concentrated on people who are enduring homelessness, and they're all concentrated on the people who are in closer proximity to homelessness. This creates a tension in our community about, well, if I could just push the people that are in my sphere into your sphere, the costs go down for me, but they don't go down for the community, right? And so we have a lot of tension in the community about where do we push the problems, you know, and how do we, you know, so there's a lot of fighting. It's inefficient to just kind of push it around. In some sense, it would be more efficient to just to kind of come to a agreement on where we're going to endure those costs and then try and mitigate them and then do the smart thing with our efforts, which is try and tamp down the overall level of costs. And that's basically my quick version of the study, which is not that quick. So I apologize. That was perfectly timed <laughs> because we're up against our first break. And uh, and by the way, I just want to encourage our listeners this morning. This is a class. So this is Missoula Econ 101. And your participation is most welcome. Our, our guests are here. They've got their headphones on. They're ready to answer questions from you. We haven't heard from Jill yet. We will. And uh, so, so much going on and only about... 50 minutes to, to talk about it, at least in this venue. So we're going to take a quick break. Come right back. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. Or you can use the KGVO app and send your comment in that way. We'll be right back. You want the best. Dennis Bragg with your Town Square weather forecast. Snow showers possible again Tuesday morning and some gusty winds on what will be the coldest day this week with highs in the upper 20s and lows 15 to 20. Slight chance of snow again Wednesday but turning warmer with highs in the low 40s and overnight lows back above freezing. Winds still gusting from 20 to 25 miles per hour. A chance of rain in the valleys and that will continue into Thursday where temperatures could be close to 50 degrees in some locations. We are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. Welcome to Missoula Econ 101. The phone lines are open. Grant Keir, CEO of the Missoula Economic Partnership, joining us in the studio. We just heard from Bryce Ward. And, uh, so, uh, let's, let's please continue. Yeah. I think I'm going to, I'm going to come back to Bryce because Bryce, one of the things I want to talk about is what you had, what you discovered to be some of the causes and contributing factors to homelessness. Okay, so the way that I lay it out in the report and talks I give on this is there's three levels, right? So in terms of why, there's market factors, there's the formal safety net, and there's the informal safety net. And then at the bottom of all that are individual factors, right? So the main thing that explains the variation in rates of homelessness across place is housing affordability, right? And housing affordability at the top level is a market force, right? So you've got Housing prices and isn't that an oxymoron? Housing affordability, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right now, you know. Sorry, but, yeah. I mean, so yeah, essentially, you have the cost of housing, and then you have the income, right? And right. so those are, you know, the wages. That's market. The housing prices. That's market. Um, and so if you know whatever prices the houses are at, if you don't have enough income to afford a house, then okay, we've moved to the next layer down, which is the formal safety net. And on the housing side, maybe that's you can get a housing subsidy. Uh, maybe that's, you know, you can get SNAP benefits or Medicaid benefits or something that helps reduce your costs of other things. So you have more money potentially available for housing. Um, and, you know, that's also where a lot of the services like Jill, you know, if you tip out and you end up in an emergency shelter or you call the United Way's emergency fund, uh, the housing solutions fund, you know, those are part of what I'll call the formal safety net. But the most important determinant or thing that keeps people who are tipping down that that cascade out of homelessness is what I'm going to call the informal safety net, which is you start living with your family. 
your friends. You kind of couch surf. Uh, you get, you know, support from those people. You know, if you look at uh, the definitions of homeless vary, but, you know, the one that I've used, it's what we call literally homeless, right? You're, you don't have a place to stay. You're staying someplace that's either a shelter or wasn't meant for human habitation. Um, but if you, uh, the Department of Education actually counts uh, kids who are doubled up, i.e. living with other people in a non-permanent case. And the size of the doubled up population, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's like 10 times the size of the official homeless population, right? So that tells us just how important the informal social safety net is, right? So, you know, when I run out of those things, then I tip into homelessness, right? And then, so what, who, who, who becomes that, right? Well, you know, the people who become homeless are not a random sample of the population. They're people who struggle to access market work, their struggle to survive in market context with housing, their struggle to access the formal safety net, and they, you know, tap out or they don't have an informal safety net. And thus you kind of see they're, they tend to be very low income, and they have low income for years before they're homeless. They have disproportionate rates of substance abuse, mental health issues, physical health issues, like, um, you know, the rate of chronic conditions amongst homeless populations, like 60, 70 percent, have at least one chronic health problem. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not a random size of people who are struggling with a lot of physical, mental, um, you know, and just social challenges that, you know, make it so that those they struggle to access the market. They struggle to access the formal safety net. Or they struggle to in, in informal settings. And so ultimately, that's kind of what explains it. That's the framework. So if we're trying to understand, well, where are we weak? What explains variation? And what do we do about it? Those are the levels that we can operate. We can try and strengthen the individual. We can try and strengthen the informal safety net. We can do something on the formal safety net, although a lot of that is federal policy. Or we can work at the market level to make sure our houses are affordable, given the wages that we offer in the community. So I... I I think me, I came into this maybe like a lot of listeners today thinking that the problem was way worse now than it was just a few years ago and that we had way more homeless population. Your studies convinced me that's at least the data do not suggest that. But also our, our housing prices are through the roof and people have talked a lot about the crisis. Why is it if, if how have we managed to maintain a relatively stable homeless population in the face of rising housing prices? Because income also exploded. Um, so if you look at like median household income in Missoula. Um, so if you look at rent in Missoula, like for typical rent in Missoula, it's about $7,000 a year more than it was like seven, eight years ago. But income, the median household income is up $25,000. Right? If you look at personal in, uh, income per capita, which is a measure, but in, and the Bureau of Economic Analysis has a local price w- adjustment. So they are adjusting for changes in housing prices and other costs of living locally. Uh, personal income per capita is up $12,000 uh, in the last seven, eight, seven years, 2022 to 2015, right? It's 25th highest amongst all metro areas in the country. Um, so that's how we've managed. If you look at the standard measures of affordability, like rental rent households spending more than 30 or 50% of their income on rent, it's roughly, it's a little bit down actually over that same period. So that means that our our income amongst the renter population has kind of been rising with uh, the housing prices. That doesn't mean there's people who don't fall through the cracks, right? So if you're on a fixed income that's not rising enough with uh, housing prices, you're going to fall through the cracks. Or maybe, you know, for whatever reason, my job didn't increase in wages or I couldn't keep my job and benefits that are available didn't keep. So there's people who fall through the cracks. But in aggregate, the reason we've been managed to kind of maintain stability in the overall level is... 
uh, is because income is rising. And, and, and the visibility thing, that's a national issue, right? So the Brookings Institute did a study last year where they surveyed people in four different areas. And all four areas were like homelessness is way worse than it's been before. But in only one of those four areas had the rates of homelessness actually increased. Okay, we're going to come right back. Seven two one twelve. I'm just overflowing with information here, trying to process all this. And thank you for the hard work that went into that study. We appreciate it, Bryce. We also have Steve waiting to visit with us when we come back from the uh, from from our break. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. This is Missoula Econ one hundred and one. And I hope you're taking notes because there will be a te- no, there won't be a test. We're going to come right back after this timeout. Hey, Les Schwab. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. It's Missoula Econ 101. I'm Peter Christian. The questions and taking your phone calls. We have Steve Emmett and Jeff all waiting to visit. But I know uh, that, uh, Grant, you wanted to get Jill on. Talk a little bit about the Pavarello Centers. Please go ahead. Yeah, I'm really hoping, I, you know, Bryce has done a great job of painting the picture with numbers. And I'm just wondering, Jill, if you could put that into the context of what this looks like on put the a, ground. Put a face on it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I think that's one of my favorite things about this is that these are things that we have all known. Those of us who work um, with people who are homeless every day, these are things that we have known all the time. And this um, gives us some numbers to that. And so, for example, this informal safety net um, in times when I've sat and had a conversation with people who are experiencing homelessness, um, many times they tell me the reason why they become homeless is something traumatic happened in their life. So they had a home, they had, you know, the fenced yard, they had the pet and the, and the kids and something happened. Um, one man told me that in one accident, he lost his wife and two children and just never recovered. Um, Another individual told me that he was working and on his way home from work got into an accident and was significantly injured and got put on painkillers, became addicted to those painkillers, and his life spiraled. He lost his house, he lost his job, um, and just didn't have that informal safety net to help him um, get back on his feet. And so I think that this tells so much about what we hear from people who are experiencing homelessness um, in real solid data. And I just um, appreciate the work so much. Okay. Let's uh, let's try to get a phone call in or two. Uh, this is Steve. Steve, good morning. You're on with our guests, uh, Grant, Bryce, and Jill. Go ahead, please. Good morning, folks. Thank you for joining this program to talk about this important issue. And I'll have to admit, it's a very triggering one for me personally, as I've been the recipient of death threats by people living in uh, homeless encampments in Missoula. Um, and I've also observed very close and how they are abusing illegal and illicit drugs on an every single day basis. And so there's two points that I would like to make. One, I, I don't disagree with the economist there and some of the things he's talked about. Housing prices are uh, not just housing, but all housing prices are, are certainly higher than, than what they have been. You just have to look at something like the Case-Shiller Index versus CPI-adjusted housing data. However, you know, that's true now. That's not always been the case. And many of us are old enough to remember times when this problem did not exist in the way it does today. And so if you look back at, for example, in 2008 to 2012, if you're going to use data to say that it's housing costs that are really the driving factor, you're going to note that housing costs were much less expensive then. And and yes, while we did not have that problem then, there were times just before it, say 2004 to 2008, when we were experiencing the same uh levels of increased housing prices that we see today, and we did not have these problems. I think one of the core elements that you're missing, and I, 
I believe this to be true because I'm as close to the problem as you are in talking to police around the in the downtown Missoula area all the time. Uh, is the drugs? You know, you're not highlighting the fact that we are allowing illicit fentanyl, which is the real issue of late, into our community with no consequences. And ma'am, from the Pavarello Center, all one has to do is just sit on the curb and watch the trucks covered in tarps outside the Pavarello Center and the people enter in and out receiving, they must be receiving drugs in there. Now, I don't have x-rays, but I can certainly tell you I've seen people living outside your facility and engaged in inappropriate, what looks like very suspicious behavior. The police say that's the, the cause of it, yet none of you are talking about that. Now, listen, housing prices are expensive, mental illness, all the, the anecdotal examples that you just gave, ma'am, are true, but there are also many other, many, many other examples of people who just want to check out, who want to live in a tent and do cheap drugs all day. And until we start getting real and talking about what's truly happening on the ground and not hiding behind some data that is accurate for this point in time, but not all time, right? We're, we're, we're teasing the community and we're trying to normalize this problem. You know, you mentioned 350 people, right, at a one-time count. Well, there's over 350 shelter beds now in Missoula, as I understand it, yet we still see unregulated urban camping occurring all over the place. We have the beds that would comply us with the Ninth Circuit opinion that's being, thank God, challenged in the Supreme Court right now. And they've agreed to hear that case. Um, but, you know, you guys don't have a count system well, set up to get those people who are illegally camping into shelters. You're just letting them stay outside and do drugs. Steve, so uh, I think you really need to talk about these kinds of things. Thank you, Peter. I apologize. Go on again. That, that's OK. That's OK. I, I know seven. you I know you have a lot to say and we appreciate it. And so uh, we have about two minutes to address what he had to say. So who wants to jump in first? Go ahead. <laughs> Jill, I, 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 he, he, he officially be specifically mentioned. You want to go for Fabrilla. Go, go ahead. Okay. I just want to say that um, addiction is really complicated. And we have many, many people that also live in homes that are using um, drugs and alcohol. And you, you just don't see that. This is very visible. Their lives are very visible. Um, and unfortunately, that's uncomfortable for all of us to be able to see. Um, and there's not much that the ordinary Missoulian can do about it. Right. Yeah. I think we need more services for people to be able to get help when they're ready. Not everybody is ready. Um, and so we're there, you know, to provide food and shelter until they are ready because it's really hard to battle an addiction when you don't have a home. All right, uh, Bryce, go ahead. Well, you know, I'm, look, substance abuse is definitely a big contributor to homelessness, right? The rates of substance abuse amongst homeless populations are very, very high relative to the overall population. However, uh, rates of uh, substance abuse do not correlate well with rates of homelessness, i.e. there's lots of places where there's much higher rates of uh, substance abuse that have low rates of homelessness because, again, it's an interaction between substance abuse and the market forces and the formal safety net, right? So that's that individual factor. So, you know, I, I'm not denying that substance abuse is a, 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 a an important issue in understanding how people end up homeless and in trying to address the issue of you know, how do we get them to stop being homeless? Um, you know, it certainly is an issue. And certainly it seems like fentanyl is maybe a part of the reason for the, the increase in visibility um, that I talked about before the last break. Um, and, you know, there, 
there's starting to be an indication that drug abuse rates and homelessness are they're starting to be correlated where they weren't in the past. It's a weak correlation still, but you know it does suggest that maybe fentanyl is a different kind of an issue that we have to deal with. I, you know, I'm certainly not denying that fentanyl is not part of this issue, and drugs have long been part of the homelessness issue, and that there are very, as Jill mentioned, a very tricky thing to deal with. And we're going to come right back. Uh, 721-1290 is our number. Emmett and Jeff are both waiting to visit with, with our guests. Of course, that's Jill Bonney, direct, uh, executive director of the Pavarello Center, Grant Keir, uh, CEO of the Missoula Economic Partnership, Bryce Ward with ABMJ Consulting, uh, here to talk about homelessness. And we appreciate all these calls. And we're going to try to take some more and get some more information when we come back. Okay, we are back on Talkback 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Other folks waiting on the line to visit with our guests, uh, Grant Keir, Bryce Warden, Jill Bonney. Emmett, good morning. You're on Talkback. Go ahead, sir. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Well, you know, I really appreciate you guys being on because I've been trying to say this on Talkback and other things for a long time, that homelessness is very complicated, and a lot of it is new housing costs. <laughs> and lack of access to formal safety net or informal safety net and other things. I agree um, with uh, Steve. Yeah, uh, I agree. A lot of them are violent. A lot of them are on drugs. I've had bad experiences with the homeless myself. But you can't paint them all with the broad brush and say that all of them are doing drugs or that none of them want to work. No one wants to be addicted. No one wants to say, I want to cause trouble today. Oh, I know, I'll be addicted to drugs and alcohol today. That's a, that's a good idea. No one wants that. And the homeless are not happy. They don't want to do drugs or anything. I agree. We need more treatment options and a whole thing. But just I'm just grateful for what you're doing being on the show because it, that's what I've been trying to say is that homelessness is an extremely complicated issue. It can't just be, oh, they're just homeless for their own fault. No, no, <clears throat> that's not true. We do need more services. I mean, if we were to take away all the poverellos today and all the safety net issues, we'd have a lot more homeless. It'd be really a disaster. So I guess mostly I just wanted to call in and thank you for what you've been talking about. And i got to go rest. So, Damn it. But thank you so much. Thanks for the call. Take care of yourself. All right, let, let's get Jeff on the line. Jeff, good morning. You're on Talkback. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, I found it very interesting, those statistics. It's, I'm glad that we finally have, the county finally has some, I don't know if it's empirical or not, but at least some information to use rather than saying we don't know. Um, and Dr. Patrick Barkey uh, has, uh, uh, from the Bureau of Business and Economic Research, has corroborated what you said, that the primary correlation with homelessness is the cost of housing. And I just don't think that Missoula County and the city of Missoula in particular realize that in their uh, building permit uh, uh, processes. You know, the people from other cities in Montana have been on and said that, you know, a process that takes days in other cities can take weeks or even months in Missoula. So um, I think that's a very important part. That's for a different cadre because you folks can't address that. I have two questions. Uh, the first one's very simple. Does that um, 600 uh, number of, uh, according to service providing, does that go up and down or is that pretty much steady? It does. It goes up and down, um, you know, kind of over long runs because people are in the system and they're in the system. They're always just, you know, you come in, you're receiving some services. You're not 
it's not you're not you're not out in a month a lot of times. So you know, some there's some persistence in terms of uh, how long people stick, and you know. It dropped a lot in 2020 uh, during the kind of COVID shutdowns, but that was probably not because there were less homeless as opposed to just, you know, fewer people interacting with service providers. Uh, and then it kind of drifted back up in kind of 2022, late 2022, early 2023, and has been drifting down uh, over the past year or so. If I, I could- guess, uh, yeah, thank you. I, I, I didn't ask a question uh, clearly enough. I, I meant on an annual basis. In other words, does that go up in the summer and down in the winter or up in the winter and down in the summer? Um, is there any sort of seasonable? It uh, doesn't show a ton of seasonality, uh, although, you know, the, the system that we're tracking, they've really have been building it over the past like six or seven years. And from what I understand from the providers, it's really only like the last three or four years that it's kind of been locked in. So we don't have a ton of years to really figure it out. And like I said, there's this huge dip in early 2020, which may, you know, which kind of is one of the four years that we have data. Um, but it doesn't show it, it shows the longer run trends. It doesn't show some big seasonality that I've noticed. Yeah, I would okay. agree. Um, oh, sorry. Um, I was just going to add in there oh, that. I would agree with what Bryce was saying. I do think like when you look at the at the pit count, you know, of the 300 and some opposed to what we're seeing in our homeless management information system, part of that discrepancy um, could also be that people are couch surfing and doubling up with people more because it's cold, it's winter, and people are more apt to say, come on into my home, it's cold outside. And so I could see numbers fluctuate a bit. Um, during seasons in that way. And that pit count is the acronym point in time. Point in time, yes. Go ahead, Jeff. And you only do the point in time once a year? Yes, and it's always in January. Okay. Um, And I do have a question for you as well, Jill. Um, And this is more of a philosophical question, but I've been involved in in 12-step programs for over 30 years now. And one of the issues in, uh, in that is... Enabling. How how much do, do people enable bad behavior, and uh, and that you can't want it more than the alcoholic or the drug user wants it. They have to want it, and they have to figure out how to do it. So for the Pavarellas, I guess in particular, but all the Missoula County services in in general, I would have the question. But you're the one here, so I'm asking you. Um, when does it go from helping to enabling? You know, you can't, enabling never means the behavior never stops. And, uh, and when do you, uh, when does, uh, for you, when's that tipping point? Because it seems like uh, from the outside that a lot of what uh, some folks might uh, call helping, other folks would describe as enabling. All right. Let's tell you what. Uh, thanks. Thanks for that question. We're up against a break, so I'm going to let Jill uh, chew on that and come back. Uh, obviously, it's going to take more than 30 seconds to answer that question. So we're going to come right back. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. This is Missoula Econ 101, folks. This is a great program. Grant Kier is with us, CEO of the Missoula Economic Partnership, Bryce Ward with ABMJ Consulting, and Jill Bonney, Executive Director of the Pavarello Center. And we're going to continue right after this. Creative free one. Need to replace your social security card? In most states, you can request one online with a My Social Security account. A My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal earnings history and benefit status. You can also get a proof of income letter, estimate and apply for benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash my account. 
Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Thinking about retirement? Make sure a My Social Security account is a part of your plan. A My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal earnings history and benefit status. You can find out if you're eligible to receive benefits, compare retirement benefit estimates at different ages or dates, view spousal benefit estimates, and more. Plan for your future. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Yeah, we are back on TalkBack. Some very, very good questions. Uh, just add, And Jill, please go ahead. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate the question. I think it's a complicated answer, but... Um, we definitely allow people to be in our building and access our services if they're under the influence or struggling with substance use as long as they're behaving. And I think about that in an enabling way, like you asked. Um, it, definitely we're having conversations with people about housing, about if they're ready to get sober or access treatment so that we can assist that when they're ready to do that. I would say when we say this is the tipping point is when their behavior becomes an issue. So when they become unsafe for themselves or the rest of the people in the shelter, that's when that becomes an issue for us. And I think the second level of that is that then they're no longer allowed in our shelters and that becomes a problem for the rest of the community. Now, at what point does one, uh, is there, is there a level of behavior where one is trespassed from the Pomerola Center or the Johnson Street Shelter and simply not allowed to return? Yeah, trespass really comes in in pretty serious situations. And so there's not a long list of people who are trespassed. Many times someone will be asked to take a break from the shelter. So it might mean they can't come back for um, several weeks and then they can appeal that decision and come back and say, hey, look, this is what I'm doing differently. This is who I'm working with. These are the safety nets that I'm connected with. And I'd like to have another chance in the shelter. It's good to know. Yeah. Go ahead, Grant. Yeah, I just wanted to come back to Jeff's uh he didn't ask a question. He just sort of made a comment and suggested it wasn't really our thing to worry about in terms of the pace at which we're delivering housing. And I think, at least from ME, it's not necessarily the POVs mission, but it is certainly something that Missoula Economic Partnership is very interested in, committed to. And I guess I don't want to take a long time here to get on a soapbox, but um, we have been advocating strongly for being able to accelerate the pace of development in our community in the places that we've decided should be redeveloped for things like housing and that we need more help from the community in that you know when there is a strong um force called nimbyism and just like people don't want homeless shelters in their neighborhoods a lot of people don't want new development and buildings in their neighborhoods and i have tried to make the case over and over and over again that as a community we have choices to make about our future. And right now, a lot of people are really committed to retaining the built environment of our community. And I think it's at the cost and risk of changing the character of our community in terms of who is able to live here. And, and I think until we embrace more development that people can afford across Missoula, we are going to price people who are traditionally able to live in Missoula out of our market. And if you don't like the cost of homelessness, that is part of NIMBYism, right? So when you're weighing trade-offs between do I like not building and keeping my neighborhood character, the physical built environment the same, you know, you're getting benefits from that. I'm not going to deny that people prefer the built environment to stay the same. As humans, we seem to be hardwired for that. 
But one of the costs of that choice is you end up with greater levels of homelessness and all of the costs that the callers have talked about or that I detail in more detail in the study then are part of that choice, right? When you're weighing those costs, you know, that is the issue. And so when you're sitting there saying, gosh, I really like this neighborhood character, keep in the back of your mind, you're saying, I like more homelessness because that's part of the cost of this. Wow. I, I, I must share a story. Um, I live in the Miller Creek area, and you, several years ago, when uh, some of the uh, um, uh, apartment buildings were going up in the Miller Creek area, and or at least the, it was proposed, and there was a meeting uh, for the people who lived in the area to come and to say what they thought. A very nice lady, probably in her 50s, early 60s, stood up. She said, you know, it may not be popular, but uh, my husband and I uh, have worked for 40 years. We 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 paid off our we we built the home of our dreams on the play, on on the plot that we saved and saved for, and now we've got a gorgeous view and we love it. And now you want to put a bit a big apartment building right in front of our home, and that is not what we wanted when we designed this. And so he said, I don't mean to sound like a bad person, but why do you have to do it there? You know that that is the classic NIMBY, right? That's right. So. That is the classic NIMBY. And, you know, and, and look, I mean. And she was really nice about it, but. Yeah. I, and look, I completely get it, right? You know, my most cited academic paper is actually on housing regulations and housing prices. So this is my area, right? Like, you know, the challenge becomes that, look, there are spillovers in terms of what happens on other people's private property in terms of what happens to you and the, you know, in your enjoyment of your private property. And the philosophical political question is, to what extent can I control what you do on your private property? That's what NIMBYism is philosophically about, right? Is, you know, the building that you're talking about was on somebody else's private property, but it impacted my view. So there's spillover costs, but in terms of do we want more building, it's about saying, well, we're going to tolerate those spillovers at some greater level than we have currently because what we we exist in a relatively NIMBY, you know, culture and in, in Missoula, it's, it tends to be pretty strong of, yeah, well, I don't want to build somewhere else. Just like I want shelters. I want building. I, I love, I want affordable housing, just not here. But, you know, you run into a problem of some place. You have to make the hard decisions about where, where it's going to go. Go ahead, Grant. Oh, I, you know, I, I know we're wrapping up on time here, so I wanted to make time for. Oh, we have, we have, we have three minutes before we take a break. So we do have a caller, but we'll, we'll, you, you go ahead. Um, I've, I've lost my train of that's thought. Okay, that's okay. That's <laughs> okay. Let, let's go ahead and get our caller on. Uh, this is Paul. Paul, good morning. You're on Talkback with Grant and Jill and Bryce. Go ahead. Um, NIMBYism is, is just the opposite of we're going to do it in your neighborhood. And what frustrates me about this conversation is it's, it's a conversation that I've heard in Missoula for 40 years. And we've had tons of building and tons of encroachment on residential areas. And... Um, and it's kind of been deliberate, and and it's like we're in Montana, one of the least dense places in 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 the country. Why does it? And everybody says, "Well, let's build in and build out." Well, that never works in any city I've known, whether it was around Milwaukee or Minneapolis. The bigger the city, the more outgrowth you end up with. So, like I say, when you say it's like we're going to do it in your neighborhood, that's that's the just the opposite of saying not in my backyard. And so I don't think that that's a very good argument. Well, look, I mean, when thanks, it comes, thanks for the call, Paul. When it comes to homelessness or when it comes to building, right? No, every, the NIMBY forces are strong, you know, and ultimately when it comes to housing affordability, you have three choices. I can sprawl, 
I can densify or I can let prices go up. Those are my choices, right? And usually you're going to pick some mix of it. And the reality is, is that, again, nobody wants it in their backyard, right? But the hard choices is that you're just pushing costs into different areas. If we sprawl, you're dealing with sprawl costs, congestion, pollution, all that kind of stuff. With homelessness, it's like, well, the localized costs are over here and not over here. And, you know, ultimately the only way out is for the community to decide what is the best solution? How do we create a winning solution as opposed to a zero-sum solution of you pay the cost and not me? And how do we find a ways to kind of grow the pie and make trade-offs that leave us collectively better off as opposed to just trying to push the problem somewhere else? And the city and county officials run up against a huge problem, and that is Missoula. The Missoula Valley is a small, contained valley. We are surrounded by very high mountains. There's simply no way <laughs> to, to give everybody the little piece of paradise that they want unless they want to go out further further out in the Frenchtown Valley and eventually go get into another county but Missoula itself is bound by those natural uh, uh, if you will obstructions that that keep you from doing what you want to do and still living in a nice little town so anyway yeah like only i think it's like 45% of the developable of land within 50 kilometers of city center is developable you know, if you go to Dallas, it's 99%, right? right? It's either underwater or on a steep slope. So we have limited land capacity. We're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number. And uh, the phone lines are open if you have a question or comment for our guests. Uh, Grant Keir, CEO of the Missoula Economic Partnership, Bryce Ward from the ABMJ Consulting, and Jill Bonney, Executive Director of the Paparilla Center, all here in the studio with us. Another eight minutes of conversation. We'd love to have you be a part of it. Not all people are the same. And yet, when we visit the doctor, our treatments don't look that different. Why is that? Because we just don't have enough information to do it better. By gathering health data from one million people, our country's best researchers will be able to develop treatments that are as unique and complex as we are. With this new information, doctors will have a better understanding of disease so they can innovate the next great breakthroughs in medicine. Learn more at joinallofus.org. Okay, we are back on Talk Back, and let's get right to the phone. Say good morning to Larry. Larry, good morning. Thanks for calling in this morning. What's on your mind? Good morning. I just tuned on, and I was hearing your arguments uh, about nimbyism, and I think the one thing that uh, your arguments are leaving out is the people that built in certain areas, especially single-family residential, built under a certain code, and uh, that was zoned that way and they built that way with certain restrictions and uh, to suddenly come in and change that and switch it from mixed use or industrial without letting these people know what's going on is one of the problems that people object to and uh, I know it's happened in our old neighborhood and it uh, they're revising the codes now and the problem with those collaborative efforts is they go on forever. This code uh, recoding is going to go on for one or two years. And the people that volunteer to come in and be involved in that just can't afford to spend the time to do that. And yet there's special interest groups that pay people to be there. So I think uh, when you're doing this, be mindful of the codes that those people built with and uh, also include those people even after their initial comments are made because they usually get tired of going to meetings with no results. So 
I'll hang up and listen up. Larry, Larry, thanks for the call. Go ahead, Grant. Thanks, Larry. Uh, good to hear from you today, and thanks for listening. I, you know, I, I want to express that I'm incredibly sympathetic to NIMBYism. Uh, I think it is a completely natural instinct, and it sort of like from a personal economic perspective is incredibly logical. I think what we try to do at MEP is expand people's understanding that when you are making that choice, it is not it is not just simply a, a making a choice to limit change. You're just pushing the change into a different part of our economy. And I think as long as people are really mindful of the economic consequences to the whole community of making that choice, I'm not here to tell them how they should behave about what kind of development patterns they see in their neighborhood. My worry is that people think it's a much easier solution with fewer downstream impacts by just saying, I don't want my neighborhood to change. Go I think Grant is good. You know, we got other callers. We can just go to them. Okay. Uh, this is Anthony. Anthony, good morning. We got just a few minutes. What's on your mind, sir? I'll make it real quick, Peter. I was just thinking about the nimbyism thing. And what if, uh, again, a push and pull, kind of a give and take, uh, if, because I wouldn't be... Uh, I would be more likely to accept a uh, some an apartment or something next to my house, home if in exchange <laughs> you could take a few hundred or if you could take a few thousand dollars off my tax bill uh, every year. I mean, I, I, you know what I mean? I, maybe some sort of give and take an incentive to to accept these kind of things that again benefit us all. But you know, I mean, again, if 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 you want to build an apartment complex next to my house. And you're willing to knock off, you know, four thousand dollars of my tax bill a year? I'm all over it. Build up. <laughs> That's exactly right. right? Well, so, well said, Andy. Go ahead. The, the challenge Thanks. with these, with, with 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 nimbyism, you know, is yeah, yeah. I want to push. I, I, you know, I acknowledge that housing affordability is a problem. I acknowledge that homelessness is a problem. Uh, I just don't want it to affect me. Well, well. So how do I? We have to make a choice about where. If we just let it go wherever, then we're we're making default choices. But frequently, those are inefficient. We're actually maximizing the cost as opposed to minimizing the cost. And you know, and it's kind of zero sum, right? I if I can avoid the problem, you you know, I'm just pushing problems around. So how do we create positive sum? Is exactly in the way that you described. It doesn't have to be tax bills. It has to be about some finding some way of saying, look, we're gonna we're gonna make you suffer. So, so you know. In quotes, right? We're going to have the apartments built near you, or we're going to put the homeless shelters near you. How do we compensate the neighborhood to make it so that they're better off? And you know, there's lots of different ways. The easy way, yes, taxes. We have a we're rapidly running out of time. I want to give each of you an opportunity to wrap us up. So, Jill, you want to take uh, thirty seconds or so and and uh, tell us uh, what you're doing uh, in the future as you're as you're heading into this new year. Oh, we're just doing the same thing we've always done for fifty years. <laughs> We're, we've been around for 50 years, and so, um, yeah, we've been doing it. But basically, the POV is sleeping around 100 individuals, and the Johnson Street Shelter, we're so lucky to have it, is sleeping around 150. Um, so we're grateful to be able to have space um, for anyone who needs it, and then also just grateful for this conversation. I think um, it's been fruitful and educational. All right. Grant, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah, uh, last minute is yours, Grant. Go ahead. Thank you. I, I think what I want to do is just thank uh, Bryce and Jill for the work they've done to help us better understand and define the challenge that we're up against in the community. Um, I, you know, this was a starting place to build a baseline of knowledge and understanding, as one of your callers, I think, noted earlier. Um, we have that now, and I think this is the start of the conversation, and um, we're looking forward to carrying the conversation on with more p- people, with more perspectives to move us forward. So, 
with that, um, thank you both. Bryce, any final thoughts? Yeah, Bryce, how, how can f- people find out more about your work? Uh, so, we're, you know, we're finally finishing up the uh, the draft. It will come out at some point in the near future so people can read it um, on the MEP website. Uh, and then, you know, I'm sure I'll talk more about this at various points. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure there will be other forums where now that we've done it, we'll say, hey, Bryce, come give right. the talk. So, all right. All three of you, thank you so much for your expertise. And thank, and thank all of our callers for, for sharing. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Nick, what's coming up on uh, tomorrow's fabulous radio program, sir? Our friend and resident CPA, Walt Kira, will join us 8 to 10. All right. So, again, uh, thank you for all the callers. You guys really helped knock this program out of the park. And for our guests, uh, Grant Keir and Bryce Ward and Jill Bonney, thank you. I know you guys are really, really busy. And to take a, a, an hour out of your time to come out and share with our with our audience is very much appreciated. And we thank you so much. And don't forget your coffee. <laughs> all right. Uh, have, have a great day, everybody. Enjoy the sunshine. And uh, we will talk to you on uh, Wednesday morning, bright and early at 6, with a sour wine on uh, that edition of 